What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of Filmmaker U. And this episode, we're going to be interviewing Daniel George McDonald, who's the supervising editor for the show Cheer on Netflix. Now, we're specifically going to be talking about the second season and the finale of that series. So if you haven't seen it, please go check that out right now. But with all that said, here's my interview with Daniel. All right, I guess first things first, how did you get involved with Cheer? Like, where where did you come on and how did you get involved with this project? I've pretty much just worked in the uh, film and TV industry with one company, uh, One Potato Productions, which is Greg Whiteley's company. Coming out of film school, one of my professors' wife worked with Greg and suggested me uh, for a position in post. So I came on with them for season three of a show called Last Chance You. Mm-hmm. Since then, you know, I basically just worked nonstop on those shows. I started out as a associate producer, uh, basically logging footage in season three of Last Chance You, and from there started editing stuff for them, ended up uh, working as a producer in the field, ended up uh, co-directing some seasons of, of Last Chance You and Last Chance You Basketball. Uh, so they kind of have their own little ecosystem mm-hmm. with people that they that they trust, and it's just a good situation they're very creatively flexible uh they give editors a lot of authorship so they were working on cheer i was done producing and directing and editing the first season of last chance you basketball and they just needed somebody to come on so i came on you know pretty deep into the process so cheer season two is sort of interesting in that uh you know they started filming beginning of 2020 they filmed for like two months and then COVID hit they had to stop but they were already you know well into post at that point so that continued for a while and then they started back up again in like January of 2021 Mm -hmm. and filmed a whole other season with the two schools you know post just kept rolling so post for this show took just about two years maybe a little under two years uh during that time some of the editors that were on at the beginning had to had to leave so i think i came on getting into like you know cut three cut four of some of the early episodes out of six uh and then ended up working as the supervising editor for the for the last seven months and finishing seven out of the nine episodes i do have a question with regards to jerry he started the season in the show and then obviously things happened and he got removed. How did that impact you guys from a story standpoint? And can you give me a sense of how you guys had to pivot or switch uh, things up? Cause that was unexpected on everyone's part. Uh, sure. So I guess first I should make the distinction that, you know, he wasn't removed from the show. The, no, yeah, he wasn't. On, on cheer, you know, they aren't cast members, the Emmy, nom is in a reality category but i wouldn't exactly consider it a reality Mm -hmm. show jerry was just a student attending navarro he was there when they were filming for the first round in 2020 he would have been at that daytona in you know march or april of that year you know then the show went on hiatus and they weren't filming anymore and i think his charges came down in october of that year something like that august or october is when that story dropped and of course you know they kind of scrambled on the production end to get back to Navarro to talk to some of those people uh they immediately started reaching out to Jerry's lawyers and trying to get in touch 
with people involved with what had happened. Mm -hmm. But then by the time, you know, main run production started again on kind of the second portion of the show in 2021, of course, you know, he was in jail. He was no longer there. Uh, as far as like the, the discussions around that. So I wasn't involved in production on this show, but I know Greg quite well. Adam Leibowitz, who's a co-executive producer on the show, uh, also know him very well. So I certainly, you know, had conversations with them around the, that time and was a little aware it was what was happening. I think the main thing was that people were just sort of horrified on two fronts. One being the allegations were horrific and the crimes were horrific mm -hmm. and they were greatly disturbed by that. Uh, but also, you know, doubly disturbed because this was a person that they'd known personally. Mm -hmm. They'd filmed with quite a bit and had liked quite a bit, as did, you know, pretty much everyone yeah. at that school. There was a reason in the first season uh, that there was so much focus on Jerry that by all outward appearances, he was a very charming, happy young man with a you know, it's a very sympathetic backstory uh, and he was easy to like. So going from that to learning these things about him, I think was very disturbing on a personal level. Beyond that, I think people, you know, involved in the production, uh, involved on Netflix's end, were concerned about what do we do with this? You know, the first season, Jerry comes across heroic, I would say. He was certainly a fan favorite. He was probably the single person that the audience responded to the most. So what do you do with that? I think the, the easy answer would be, well, let's just pretend that never happened, right? Let's just pretend Jerry doesn't exist, not address him. Uh, we'll just cut him out of the show and that will no longer be a part of it. And we don't have to deal with all of the discomfort and you know the thorny parts of that. I think the way that Greg and Netflix and, and Chelsea Arnell, the co-director on the show, chose to approach it was the correct way, which is what we did, which is, you know, in the footage from 2020, he's there. We didn't try to shy away from him. We didn't try to make him invisible. He's there and you kind of have to experience him the way that the people at Navarro experienced him, that he was an integral part of the team, that he was a beloved part of the team and a leader, and that's just present. And then, you know, the audience has to grapple with learning about the allegations and you know the legal proceedings and of course you know they have to hear from the voices of his his victims and his victims family and they kind of have to experience that in some way similar to the way the people that were actually in jerry's life experienced it it interested me because i remember when it happened and then there was like a, obviously a brief pause because you guys were still editing <laughs> like it drifts off in your head and then you're like what happened really behind the scenes the other thing i noticed in this season and it, particularly in the episode you're nominated for is the softening of monica i find that mm. i found that very interesting particularly the last episode which you cut in which you know we see her at church we see her crying and dealing with things and we see her dealing with students was that a conscious effort or was that just something that sort of came out in the footage I mean, I think all those things that you just mentioned are, you know, very much real parts of her personality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we try to reflect the reality of the people that we're that we're documenting as, as truthfully as we can. And and that's all part of it. But of course, you know, there's a conscious effort that goes into everything that we that we show. It's all a choice. Mm -hmm. And in that way, yeah, that it was a conscious decision to try to highlight the parts of her that are 
you know, softer, gentler. There's a part of her that is, you know, very much a kind person and an educator and someone who who cares very much about the students that are sort of in her charge. As an editor, it can be very easy to focus on, you know, the most explosive or dramatic things, people yelling. It's it's very easy to just go for like, well, here's someone yelling or here's someone criticizing uh, mm-hmm. because that's dramatic. But you can focus on that to such an extent that it kind of mutes the reality of of someone, right? It it mutes their facets by focusing just on this one part of them that's very easy to draw on. And then you don't really get a clear picture of them. And I think with someone like Monica, you know, because she can be very harsh and blunt with her students, Mm -hmm. you know, they're so competitive and she's trying to put out such a competitive product that that leads to, you know, a lot of situations that can seem very hurtful where like a, you know, an athlete doesn't get to perform the way they want to perform or doesn't get to, you know, be in a certain role or whatever. And it would be very easy for her to just seem sort of like a dictator or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of like a Belichickian, you know, cold coach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The old Russian hockey coaches. <laughs> yep. So I think you have, and, that, and that's all truthful. That's yeah, all yeah. a part of her as well. But I think you have to show the other stuff so that people can actually understand her in some depth so this is a difficult question to answer because realistically people should watch the whole season but you're nominated for an emmy and i want to know if you had to give people who are going to make the decision in the end one scene that you're really proud of in this episode the last episode of the season which scene would it be and why I wish I had a better answer for that. Purely from an editing standpoint, it wouldn't be in that episode. It would be in the one before it, uh, Navarro's performance on day mm-hmm. one of Daytona, uh, which is set to this crazy song called Summoner. I just loved working on that sequence. I feel like it's like one of the best things I've edited purely is like putting together image and, and sound and the challenge of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was really up to that scene to convince people whether I should be nominated for an Emmy or not. I don't know mm-hmm. that that one would convince them, but that's probably my favorite scene. Well, it's interesting because like, I, I have questions about cutting the routines here. How do you like to approach a routine when it comes in for your cut? It was very different this time than last time. Have you seen the, the first season as well? Yep. Yeah. So the first season I, I cut that, the Daytona sequence as mm-hmm. well. That one was all like found footage. Yeah, I was going to say their camera phones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a really interesting experience uh, editing wise because, you know, editing's often about problem solving, but that was a very difficult problem. The sound was terrible and all over the place. You couldn't hear individuals, you know, the way it was shot on DSLRs and phones. You, you really couldn't key in to particular mm-hmm. people or like, you know, the main characters uh, in the way that you would with, with normal footage. So that was kind of its own challenge. And then going into this season, it was a whole different thing because they had complete coverage, something like nine cameras going, you know, four of them at 72 frames per second. It all looked beautiful. They had a camera on a slider in front of the stage. It was very like technologically impressive. So approaching that, I guess, is about trying to figure out the way that you can make what is frankly to me a pretty confusing event mm-hmm. taken from the perspective of a layperson, not a terribly aesthetically pleasing uh, event, right? Like if, yeah. you, if you watch these performances just in the wide, the way, you know, Varsity, the company who broadcasts Daytona, the way they present them, it's sort of just like a flash of 
moving parts and noise from these songs that they're cut to, it's not very visually appealing. Mm -hmm. It's very kind of overwhelming. A colleague of mine calls it like a Plinko board or something. It's just like flashing lights and movement. <laughs> yes. Approaching those those sequences, you have to figure out like, how am I going to boil this down into something that captures the spirit of of the performance? You know, why do people like this? Why is it exciting? Uh, why do the people involved like it? That captures how challenging it is because physically it's immensely challenging. Mm -hmm. Those people are crazy in what they do is wild what they're doing with their bodies the timing of it the preparation is all pretty impressive so you have to find a way that that captures that right that shows like this is a very difficult thing a very impressive thing and you have to make it both succinct and impactful mm -hmm. right you have to you have to find ways to make it emotionally worthwhile which is difficult because it's something like two minutes and 15 seconds in real time mm -hmm. which is nothing but at the same time if you just watched that two minutes and 15 seconds in my opinion, at least, it would both feel too long and like not enough of a conclusion to what you've seen through the season, right? Mm -hmm. The whole season is building up to this one little performance. But if you just watched it straight through in real time on a wide, you'd kind of unfairly say like, yeah, that was it. <laughs> so I think you have, to, you have to find a way as an editor to get inside of that and highlight little individual moments to, so that you can stop and appreciate like, oh, wow, this is what they were trying to do. And now that I see it and I see it working, and I see like every element coming together. I get it. I get why they did this. I get why it matters so much to them. And I get why they're so excited to have succeeded. When I've talked to editors who've worked on huge chase sequences or action sequences, one of the things that sort of always comes up is the geography and trying to keep people oriented. Was that an <laughs> issue when you were cutting these things and keeping people sort of focused on a particular area? Yeah, to an extent. I think it's more the geography of time, though. Like, you, you want to try to find ways to highlight particular mm -hmm. events within the performance so that people can kind of anchor themselves and say, like, oh, that's a critical moment. Mm -hmm. In uh, TVCC's performance, there's a moment when D does a tumbling pass. Mm -hmm. And the first day, he stumbles. Like, yeah. he, he doesn't nail the landing. And that's kind of like this critical point in the event where everything from there on just goes downhill, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's not perfect. You can see on their faces. They know they've screwed up. They know they're not hitting it. That's the changing point in the first one. So you have to manipulate the geography of time within that performance so that that feels as heavy as it was to them mm -hmm. right and that's difficult because it's this little thing like he just stumbles a little bit and again if you were watching it in real time unless you're you know ordained in the in the church of cheer you wouldn't know that that was important mm -hmm. it potentially wouldn't look like anything so you have to kind of pay very careful attention to like where you're placing emphasis so that the audience can follow along with this thing that's actually quite like arcane mm -hmm. and involved so that as lay people they can appreciate it and then in the second day it's the same thing you want to highlight that same event in a different way so that the audience thinks back to the last episode and thinks oh right i remember this i remember that this is when it turned bad how is it gonna how is it gonna play out right so you have to give it enough time for them to go through that thought process and then when it resolves and he nails it and it kind of like another song comes in and it moves into becoming a triumph for them, um, that the audience can appreciate that. As far as spatial geography, it's the Plinko board. Like with this particular performance, it's not like a basketball game or a football game or a chase scene or something like part of 
the appeal ultimately is that it is this like choreographed chaos. So that gives you some leeway to to mess around. You're worrying about the 180 degree line, worrying about like placing people with like a you know a wide shot before jumping in. I can mostly just ignore that mm-hmm. and just go purely for like okay, what is going to be entertaining and exciting and cue people into the emotions I want them to feel. Like you said, you you had to hyper focus or focus on the tumble which is set up in the episode just before. But then what's also yeah. interesting is if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember her name when Navarro is going, the one who sort of stumbles or like doesn't land uh, uh, Jill. Jill. Yeah. But you've set that up earlier in the episode where she's like talking to the camera about getting rid of all her fears and stuff. And so I found that so interesting because then you sort of slow down in that moment. How do you approach setup and payoff in that situation? Cause like for one, it's, you know, the previous episode for another, it's this episode but there's like the first part of the second episode is is all sort of setting us up so we're all suspense and like on the edge of our seat. So how do you like to approach prepping the audience to have us on the edge of our seats, I guess, or to leaning forward? Well, with Jill, setting up specific moments like that, I think it's a it's a dance because you want to you do want to set it up. You want to you want to give the audience something that they can think back to mm-hmm. when the thing happens, right? When the important event happens, you want them to think back and say like, "Oh, isn't it crushing that she did end up sort of being the cause of of mm-hmm. them losing?" Yeah. Right? Which is very uh saying that like it, it hurts my heart a bit because of course, you know, but you've she worked with them. Like a, yeah, she's a person. Like she, right. And yeah. and it's such a minor thing. I'm sure it could have happened to anyone. Yeah. And it was obviously devastating for her. But you want the audience to look back and think, wow, isn't, oh, that, that really hurts because I remember her talking about how she specifically fears this thing happening. Mm-hmm. Right. So you want to do that so that you, you give some sort of like narrative cohesion to what's happening. So it doesn't just seem like random events unfolding randomly, which is, what real life actually is but you also don't want it to feel like oh something's gonna happen with jill right Mm -hmm. like hopefully that would be my hope is that people watched that and they heard jill talking about that and they didn't think oh jill's definitely gonna screw up yeah well that's why i was asking that scene happens but it wasn't like i was sitting there being like oh she's gonna fall good yeah yeah (laughs) yeah well and i'm like it's an interesting setup yeah i wouldn't want you to um Mm -hmm. again i think you have to be careful to not choreograph what's going to happen while still building in enough layers that when things happen, it feels satisfying and complete. It feels like you've actually told a story, Mm -hmm. right? As far as building up suspense in that day, that's all just like pacing and, and music, finding music, working with the composer to build out cues that, you know, make you feel like your, your heart is starting to race and then doubling up on that with, you know, pacing, the cuts so it's just like getting faster and faster Mm -hmm. a lot of jump cuts a lot of like moving from one space to another someone says one thing and then boom they're in another space so you just feel this propulsion my hope with that the first part of that episode was it just feels like you're being swept towards Mm -hmm. the performance you're waking up with them and then you're just racing towards this performance and as it gets closer and closer you know you feel the nerves that they're feeling you know you get there and it's either a triumph and a relief or it's devastating i also was going to ask about the reveal of who wins and sort of that suspense mm-hmm. moment like it feels and this is just because I, I re-watched it again but it feels like things are slowed down and dragged out what were some of the reasons behind this and 
What was your approach to the scene? Again, that was the point, was to, <laughs> to, to, to drag it out so yeah. that the audience is kind of in the psyche of, of the people on the team, on the mm-hmm. teams. You're there waiting to hear the result, like all oh, you've watched. At that point, you know, you're with this. You've been with us for nine episodes. You're in. I don't have to worry about losing you at that point mm-hmm. if something's taking too long. So I can just think, how do I make you feel what these people are feeling? That you've been through this whole season. Hopefully you like these people. Uh, quite a bit and you you want them to succeed but you know they can't all succeed somebody's going to be sad here so Mm -hmm. when they're waiting in the hotel room or they're waiting in that ballroom that monica rented i'm sure they're just sitting there wishing it was over right wishing that they could just know like good or bad i just want to know so that i can move on yeah and hopefully that's that's what the audience is feeling you're hearing them and you're thinking like, oh God, I want them both to win. You, you want to find a way to let people sit with that as long as you can get away with so that when it finally gets to it, it it's all the more impactful, right? If you just jumped straight from the performance to TVCC wins, nobody would care, right? Yeah. It wouldn't, they'd be like, yeah. oh, okay, they won. <laughs> <laughs> but when you, you get to put yourself in their shoes for a little while, then it becomes an emotional experience, hopefully. Now, I do want to say one thing I really appreciated, which I thought was almost sneaky on your part but (laughs) the previous season navarro has that celebration in the water and it's sort of uh, talked about and they explain it all and then this season you start on a shot of tvcc really low so it's just their pants and like the dress but they're in i guess their away uniforms which are similar colors to navarro's (laughs) because the whole thing with navarro was they get to celebrate in the water if they win. And all of a sudden, TVCC does that. And so it looks like Navarro, like, oh, they're just going to jump in the water <laughs> and celebrate anyways. But then sure. sort of pulls back and reveals that it's um, the Cardinals or the Cards, I guess. I love that cut. But uh, I just wanted to mention that. Thank you. <laughs> I have one last question for you. And this is just a fun question that I ask everyone I interview. What would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film or show to watch? 90s Star Trek. Sure. Oh, yeah? Like, which one? Yeah. The the Next Generation? I really like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. I'm, okay. I'm like, watching Deep Space Nine again with my with my wife right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, was she a Star yeah. Trek fan before? Or you introduced She was her not, her? but she really enjoys it. It's it's sort of, like, therapeutic. Yeah. Um, there's something about those shows. It's, it's very nostalgic, but they're also, like, they're so sweet. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have sort of, like, a quaint moralism about them and everything works out in the end and you know it's all pleasant and every inch of everywhere is carpeted it's just something nice about it but it's definitely not like you know high intellectual fare well thank you so much for letting me interview you today yeah thank you so that was my interview with daniel i'd like to thank him for allowing me to interview him i'd also like to thank netflix for setting this up as well as evan winch for cutting this episode i'm your host gordon burkell thanks for listening